and welcome back to another episode of Loss of Down. I'm your host, Stephen Weed. Of course, always joining me, the maniac in Pittsburgh. But before we get into that, we wanted to let you know that this episode is brought to you by TabEase.com, the premium Delta 8 edible on the market. Lucky for you, we get to hook you up. If you use that promo code FOOTBALL, that's right, FOOTBALL, the reason we're all here and listening, you get 20% off and free shipping with that order. Again, that is tabbees.com, T-A-B-E-A-S-E.com, promo code FOOTBALL, 20% off, free shipping for that Delta 8 edible. Wally, it's been a week, had a hell of a week, seven in the NFL, but most importantly, how are you? How are things? Things are great because I'll tell you why. The Raiders are 5-2 and two right now. They are at the top of the AFC West, which felt crazy two weeks ago with all the stuff we were talking about. And on top of that, Ohio State, huge game on Saturday, hosting Penn State. It's a great football weekend for me, man. I couldn't be more excited. How you doing, buddy? My weekend wasn't too shabby. Got, to, uh, got another great weekend of free Columbus crew tickets. So I invited the mom and stepfather to come from where you guys reside at Cranberry Township, right outside of Pittsburgh. So they make the they made the quick three-hour trip, got to hang out with them on Sunday, and watch what I said was an awesome Week 7 in the NFL. Dude, that's awesome. Congratulations having family out. It's not a bad drive. It really isn't. I tried telling everybody, it's nice to get to throw a podcast on. I don't know, maybe Loss of Down. That might be a good podcast to throw on for a nice little two-hour, three-hour road trip. But yeah, dude, good. That's awesome. I can't wait to get out there. What, in Lower.com Stadium there? Look at you, big shot. So that'll be fun. Lower.com Field. And, you know, it's always nice when you have those Sunday scaries. You got your mom there to pat you on the back, tell you everything is okay. You got football. You got wings. A wild week seven. The Chiefs, a wild card team at best, Wally. The Bengals leading the AFC North at five and two. And the Cards are still undefeated. And they got the Thursday night game coming up here just tomorrow night. Before we get into it with the hair of the dog and the recap of the week seven games and bets, a couple of the stories from this previous week. Don't have to spend too much on this. I feel like this is all hearsay until it actually goes down. The Deshaun Watson rumors are really starting to heat up. Him going to Miami, Tua hearing all these rumors, not really feeling like he's wanted this past week, week and a half. But from what I've been hearing, it's Crossing the T's, dotting the I's at this point. Deshaun Watson to Miami. It's basically a done deal. They're just making sure everything in the back end is good. So, Wally, Deshaun Watson hasn't really been talked about here as of recent. But now potentially starting for that Miami team here. I don't know if it's going to be this season or the beginning of next. What are your thoughts about this? Well, you know we're a gambling podcast. So, the live odds as we're recording this for where Deshaun Watson ends up after a trade it's currently minus 150 for Miami. So not only are you high on that, so is Vegas on the idea that Miami is going to acquire Deshaun Watson at some point. Even though the Panthers allegedly aren't interested anymore, they're at plus 300, the Broncos at plus 5, and the Eagles also at plus 5. So it's still, to me, it doesn't make sense. Why are you going to be spending assets on a guy that is not even going to likely play this year even I I just don't believe it Roger Goodell in the NFL got bit in the ass from the Ray Rice situation this is even worse so I don't think that the NFL is going to allow him to play even if he is traded I just doesn't make sense for anybody involved so to me 
until this happens, I'm still at a loss to why we're trying to make it happen. You have to be walking on eggshells if you're the commissioner of the NFL and Roger Goodell. You have to make this decision right. He has fucked up so many of these cases in the past and received a ton of backlash. You have to get this right. At the same time, there hasn't there's criminal investigations, yet no criminal charges still have not been brought up on Deshaun Watson. So it's a double-edged sword, the definition of innocent until proven guilty. And nothing's really nothing has really came about it quite yet. So still has me scratching my head. But of course, you know, right when he gets to Miami, that's when everything is gonna blow up right in the commissioner's face and the NFL as a whole. Tom Brady this past weekend, breaking a couple records here on Sunday. First ever quarterback to throw over 600 touchdown passes. He's now at 601. Before we really start diving deep, everyone wants to kind of talk about the guy who gave that 600th touchdown ball back after Mike Evans threw it into the crowd. But Brady, breaking the biggest age gap between starting quarterbacks again. He did it the first time when he faced off against Mac Jones. That's 21 years separated this past Sunday when he played the Chicago Bears him and Justin Fields are 22 years separated and when Tampa Bay is slated to play the New York Jets here later on in this year if Zach Wilson does play he will break that record again because Zach Wilson is five months younger than Justin Fields he's gonna break a record he set he's gonna break it three times that he set twice Tom Brady records left and right are being broken by him But back to what we're really talking about. Mike Evans goes and gives the ball away on the 600th touchdown. That fan gives it back. Getting a ton of shit talking. How would you not hold out for more money, more this, more that? Dude received a signed jersey, signed helmet from Tom Brady. A signed Mike Evans jersey and game-worn cleats. $1,000 to the team store. Season tickets the rest of this year and next year. And apparently, Tom Brady was giving him a little bit of a Bitcoin action as well. Do you think that's a fair trade-off? And would you hold out? And if he did, how much? How much are you holding out for? Well, I didn't see the Bitcoin thing. That changes a lot. So it's not like the old days where when Mark McGuire hits his freaking 60-second home run down the left field line and a grounds crew guy finds it, and he's just like, hey, I want to give this back to Mark McGuire at the ceremony. Thank God we're beyond the stupid fan phase. Because, yeah, you know what? If he gives me a $600 or with a 600 touchdown ball, I'm going to hold out. So I'm at least happy this guy got some in return here. It was a good haul, and I think the story itself would be worth a lot. But it, will it be worth the money that that ball could have got at auction? I don't know. I'm not a guy that's going to be able to tell you the memorabilia value of that football right now. I just know that when guys of his stature do retire, prices on things skyrocket. So I feel like the guy probably missed out on a little bit of money here. But to have a really cool story, I guess it's personal preference. And who knows? Again, that Bitcoin changes a lot. The Bitcoin does change a lot. Like you said, when he retires, everything is going to go up in value. Just like the signed helmet, game-worn cleats, signed Mike Evans jersey, and the signed Tom Brady jersey. That's going to be, Tom Brady's going to have a small amount of his career in Tampa versus New England. That's going to be a hot commodity because that's not only vintage at one point, but could you imagine getting like a signed Joe Montana Kansas City Chiefs jersey? That'd be badass. But it's a not signed... like that there was these weren't like game worn jerseys, correct? As far as I'm concerned, the Mike Evans was game worn. Tom Brady, I feel like they're probably gonna get that shipped over to Canton with a fake ball saying, yes, yeah, the six hundredth. Exactly. That's the reason why I was wondering, because if it was the game worn jersey, then naturally it's immediately a home run, but it wouldn't make sense. And I think Tom's 
much more intelligent from a marketing perspective than that. I'm glad you're on the intelligence train. Because the Washington football team investigation is not going to be open to the public. Dan Snyder, obviously, avoiding accountability. Let me act fucking surprised real quick. The guy that was, like, pulling teeth to change the name of the Washington Redskins is not holding accountability. Yeah, your boy with the greatest haircut of all time, Mark Davis, pissed. And lawyers are calling Goodell a liar. If this shit goes out, the NFL is getting flipped upside down. Holy shit. Groot is not the only one in, the, in that email chain. I guarantee it. This is going to light the league on fire if this shit goes down and gets open to the public. No sense it's not, but Wally, tell me it is. Come on, tell me something. Tell me a lie down here, and you really wanted to say something for me live reaction. Well, see, Mark Davis is pissed because you're right. It, John Gruden wasn't the only person that's said or done things like this in emails. It just can't be true. And the fact that he was the only one that got outed, I think is what pissed Mark Davis off. But, I mean, talk about the league just fumbling another thing. We went two stories ago. We were talking about the Deshaun Watson stuff. This has been handled just as poorly. I mean, this isn't the only thing. The, the We're going to keep everything under wraps because the victims want anonymity. That was apparently not true. The lawyer said that's not true. The 40 people involved were very happy to have the stuff leaked. But beyond that, you also have things today from Stan Kroenke not wanting to pay agreed upon, and we're talking tens of millions of dollars, on the moving expenses, and the owners found that out in the, the owner meeting today. So the NFL just consistently at the top level is just run poorly, and I don't know, it feels like a running joke almost, like how poorly can we handle this situation? But I mean, Dan Snyder, he better pray to God that those emails and everything else in this investigation isn't leaked. Because, I mean, shit, you even saw like the U.S. Congress is trying to get involved and trying to probe into it as well. I mean, if they've had a precedent to do this for the steroid era in baseball, who's to say if this is bad enough that the U.S. Congress can't kind of force and subpoena out a little bit of this information? Can't reiterate enough. This is going to be messy. This is going to be bad. A lot of names you're not expecting to be popping up. Get ready. This is going to be a roller coaster of a story and you know people are not going to stop until they get every single word, letter down of what went down. Do I think it's going to clear John Gruden's name? Absolutely not. But it's going to put in perspective that, you know, stop putting John Gruden on this pedestal of just being this absolute devil. Was he wrong? Yes. Yes, he was wrong. There's a lot more people, which that doesn't make it right either. But John Gruden's going to get the fire off him, and a lot more people are going to have their eyes on And I would not be surprised if a couple high-profiled people in the front office or potentially head coaches are going to start going down one, one, one by one like an Agatha Christie book. Did you get that? Did you I, get that? I got one? you. Was it the uh, – and then there were one? And then there were none. And then there were none. I thought it was and then there were one because it's the judge at the end. He's just like, psycho cool, wasn't Cool, I guess dead. I'm not fucking reading that book. Thanks, Yeah, spoiler Wally. alert. God, the fucking doctor of English can come over here and just spoil everything. But that will bring us to the end of the stories. Let's get a smile on our face. Get the energy upbeat a little bit, a.k.a. Let's start fucking drinking. I'm hungover. Let's get the hair out of the dog out of the way. Let's start buzzing. The Cleveland Browns win the Thursday night game in a barn burner. 17-14 to against the Denver Broncos. What I should say is the ghost of the Cleveland Browns catching a victory Led by Dearness Johnson, 146 yards and one touchdown. Case Keenum putting up a solid performance. Blindfold me, I would assume that this was Baker. 21-33, 199 yards and a touchdown. 
Broncos lost their fourth in a row after starting 3-0. I think this team is done. Thank God is what the Kansas City Chiefs are so they don't finish bottom in the division. So, Wally, what, what were your thoughts on this Thursday night game? Do you think that this team, this is a sustainable enough offense without having Baker lead it? Yes, you're going to have Nick Chubb back here this following week. But not having Baker, do you think this team can still go pretty far? Yeah, and I think, first of all, I have to start by saying you and all the other people out there that think that this was a comparable to Baker Mayfield game, you guys are morons. This was not that game. If you watch this game, Case Keenum, I mean, if you just even look at the first drive, a lot of people are sending me texts like, oh, yeah, Case Keenum had like 50 yards passing on that first drive. Yeah, those seeds on those little dump-down screens behind the line of scrimmage that go for 35 yards. Baker Mayfield is the reason why this team was a playoff and a Super Bowl contender to start the year. They're not with Case Keenum. Right now, what do you think? You're shaking your head because if you think that Baker Mayfield is off this team, who's going to be the guy on this roster that can keep them a Super Bowl contender? Literally anyone else bought Baker You're Baker insane. Mayfield, yes. You are You're... literally insane if you think Baker Mayfield is a, literally a comparable to Case Keenum. You're nuts. You're nuts if you think Baker Mayfield is that guy to put them over the edge. Is Baker solid? Yes. Is he great? No. Is he bad? No. He's a solid quarterback. We don't sit here and tell me that Baker is the reason that they're Super Bowl favorites when you know that's not right. We both yes, know that's it is. not right. Yes, it is. Baker Mayfield right now on this team, when healthy, has done more for this team than a quarterback in Cleveland has since Bernie Kosar. Yes. Yes. And the water tastes really good when you don't drink it for 48 hours, Wally. No shit, this is the best quarterback. You're comparing oranges to literal, literal cow manure. Yes, of course it's better. Oh, no, yeah, Calvin he's, he's a French top 10 quarterback. That is what Baker Mayfield is. Yes, that is what Baker Mayfield is. Holy shit. Wally, You're stop. insane. You're insane. It, it, everybody else is just cherry picking. Hey, don't get me wrong. I like Baker Mayfield, that quarterback. Do not tell me that's the deciding factor. Then don't like, tell yep. me that Case Keenum had the same game Baker would. I'm not saying he did, but he was putting up comparable numbers to what Baker is. Baker's not doing anything insane. Baker's done nothing insane this year except turn the ball over, been the the problem on offense, and holding this team back offensively. Yes, yes, the fucking team that's number two in rushing in the league and bottom 15 in passing, yes, I do not believe that Baker Mayfield is the reason they're Super Bowl contenders. That's all I'm saying. If you put another quarterback on that team, like Case Keenum, it is a massive falloff. We're talking cliff-diving falloff. They catered to Case Keenum in this game. Everything was within 10 yards of the line of scrimmage. The offensive line is terrific. I'm not saying it isn't best run attack in the entire league. But Baker Mayfield is literally a game changer when healthy on the field compared to anything else they have at that quarterback position. Game changer. Game right. changer. Thank God that we're recording this. You think Baker yes, Mayfield thank is God a we're game recording changer? This. Thank God a we're recording changer. this. And thank God we recorded too. That 190 yards, half of it coming on screen passes, is the same as Baker Mayfield. Cool. Giving him credit for an offense that's given to Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt and the reason that they're successful, that, that's the same reason. Oh, you're giving, you're giving uh, Case Keenum all this slack. He's doing screen passes. Cool. You're giving Baker Mayfield all this credit when all he does is hand the fucking ball off because that's his best play in the playbook. Okay, so when Tom Brady has had years in the past where the offense is predicated on running the football, he gets knocked then? Because we didn't knock him then. That's it. I'm not saying they're the same level, but he that's had the no same weapons. kind of off. He has no weapon. Baker Mayfield's had more weapons his first 
four years in the league than Tom Brady. Arguably, he's had his whole career before Tampa Bay. Do you realize Jarvis Landry didn't even play until this last week? Odell Beckham Jr. has been a non-factor. Who is the weapons on the outside beyond that? I mean, we're throwing the guys like That's Demetrius David, Felton, David Anthony Schwartz. Anthony Schwartz. What about my boy Donovan Peoples-Jones? Oh, oh, yeah, you're right. Yeah, top of the table. Wow. DeAndre Hopkins, Julio Jones, Donovan Peoples-Jones. It's the same conversation I usually have. Why aren't you talking about Devontae Adams? That's disrespectful. Yes, he's above those other guys. I was trying to give you a little respect in here. Oh, so you think Donovan Peoples-Jones is the same as DeAndre got you? Well, I just figured the way we're going with your conversation, they would be in about three minutes. I'm just saying Case Keenum, more playoff wins, been to an NFC championship game. Baker's never even sniffed the championship game. And he choked. Pat Mahomes. Pat Mahomes out. Fucking chokes. Chokes in the this is This is hilarious, too, because so, if so we're starting so to go with him. team success and team records for the quarterback position, then you have to do that throughout history, too. You have guys like Dan Marino that have never won or even been to a Super Bowl. But, uh, but again, it's... He went to a Super Bowl his second year. He never went back. Okay, oh, no, sorry, sorry. <laughs> Read a book. Dan Marino never won a Super Bowl. They lost that game. It was like something like 50 points, wasn't it? So this was bad. Yeah. But this is, again, it's the same kind of principle where it's, you were talking about a a guy in Dan Marino that had nothing around him and you're going to hold him to a playoff success caliber. But like, no, he'll not have that conversation, but we're going to prop up Case Keenum because he won on a game manager, what team a few years ago. And we're going to prop him up against Baker. It's insane. All right, cool. So last four games Baker played in. Bears, 61% completion. Oh, we're, we're going to ignore the touchdown. torn labrum, broken clavicle. We're going to ignore all that, though, right? He didn't tear his labrum until that hit. His labrum was torn. It was broken clavicle. Didn't happen until the other day. Oh, you know what? I'm sorry. I forgot that it says that uh, he tore his left labrum when he throws with his right arm. Gotcha. Oh, I um, forgot, too, that like when you hurt a part of your body, that like that the left labrum, that has nothing to do with your whole body when you're throwing a football. You notice how... Like, you have a plant foot in baseball. You don't throw with your plant foot, but is that a bad thing? Do you need a plant foot? Do you plant with your fucking arm, Wally? You're right. Just stand still, bro. We're not a brown putt. No, but I'm trying to put... I am trying to defend Baker Mayfield because it obviously isn't going to happen on that side of the room. No, and I'll defend Baker Mayfield, but... You're going, he's the reason that they're a Super Bowl favorite, and I completely disagree. Is he a key piece for them being a Super Bowl favorite? Sure. Is he the main reason? We're moving the goalposts. Absolutely not. No, no, no. Okay, my message is being misconstrued. What I was, this initially started as you brought up Case Keenum, and they are not comparable. Baker Mayfield is a fringe top 10 quarterback in this league, and without him, this team is not a Super Bowl team. That was what I was trying to say. If it did not come across like that, I want to make this perfectly clear. The strength of this team is the running game. The strength of this team is the running backs, and the strength of this team is the offensive line. Guys like Baker Mayfield, you can win Super Bowls with them. You're not going to win in spite of Baker Mayfield. You cannot say that with guys like Case Keenum. But your argument was he is he is like he is the reason they are Super Bowl favorites, and I go absolutely not. Is he a dis- the reason they're Super Bowl favorites because they have a pass rush and a deadly running game. The reason they're not going to blow it is because they have a good game manager at football. But the reason they're winning the Super Bowl is not Baker Mayfield. And how can- I don't understand how you can't how you disagree with that. Baker Mayfield is the type of quarterback that can win you games when that running game is taken away. That is and not something that they've not... He can lose you games just as quick, Baker Mayfield can. Baker Mayfield Fact. has proven that he can lose you games. He has been... 
not perfect with the ball, especially here in this stretch with the arm. I'm not going to disvalue everything he's done because of the last few weeks here because of the arm injury. We knew this was coming. The moment he was out and we went into Thursday night football, Browns fans almost didn't want to win this freaking game because they knew the national media would eventually turn this into, do we have a quarterback controversy in Cleveland? It's asinine. Absolutely have a quarterback controversy. You got uh, you got Stefanski there bringing in his quarterback that he had the most success with. It's going to happen. I got nothing else. Go to the next game. I'm done. Uh, Broncos suck. I think we agree on that one. Very much so. I think we've been very – they're the the twin. They're the AFC-NFC equivalent to Carolina. You don't say that. Falcons win as time expired by Young Hoku's game-winning field goal. Matt Ryan going 25 of 40 for 336, two touchdowns, and one interception. Kyle Pitts, nice little encore show. Seven receptions for 163 yards to uh, – Last two games since being back, six touchdowns, three interceptions, 620 yards with slightly under a 75% completion percentage. Also, last two games since he's been back, lost at the buzzer to the Jacksonville Jaguars and the Atlanta Falcons. I don't really want to look too much into Atlanta because they're a lost cause. Is there any signs of optimism that you've seen from him the last two games since he's been back or this whole Miami Dolphins team as a whole? Only thing I'll say on Atlanta, Kyle Pitcher to man. The Dolphins, on the other hand, though, Tua is raising his trade value. And that is, if this is going to happen with the Deshaun Watson move, I mean, I guess you're excited if you're Houston, right, to finally see a little bit of that development coming in. And then if you are the Dolphins, I mean, I don't know, maybe if you can't get a deal done at the deadline, it gives you a little bit of hope going into the second half of this season that at least you can figure out if Tua can be a guy that you can move around going forward. Hasn't happened up until the last two weeks. And you want to talk about turning the ball over a little bit too much. He's turned it over three times here in the last couple weeks. And he can look good. You can complete 80% of your passes like he did. But if two of those eight incompletions are interceptions, that's where you're going to still kind of run into these problems. We need to see him protect the ball a little bit better. But as a whole, no. This Dolphins team season's over. I'm happy that... I guess the wide receivers and tight ends are starting to get a little rapport with him. Jalen Waddle, obviously, Bama teammates, seven catches, 83 yards, and Mike Kosicki, seven catches, 85, and a touchdown. Nice to see them get a little chemistry here. But our next game, the Pats destroyed the Jets. Again, second time this year we've already seen it. Zach Wilson was knocked out of this game pretty early, and Mike White did come into his place. And I want to say he's from Western Kentucky or Western... It's one of those crazy places that if you didn't see a random Hawaii Bowl game five years ago, you wouldn't know this guy exists. But now he's playing. I, it sounds like he's starting against the Bengals this week, so that's going to be interesting there. But good for Mac Jones. It looks like he's going to be the real deal, at least a professional game manager, a guy that's going to be in this league for a long time. High football IQ. He doesn't try to do too much. What were your thoughts on this game? Because the Patriots, to me, they're a team that, can compete with anybody, but they're really not going to do anything exceptional. Does that make sense? Any given week, we've seen them been be very competitive with you know a couple of the good teams. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers are ringing a bell, but then you go, you know, you do well against a Tom Brady-led Tampa Bay offense that's been looking like they're lighting everyone else on fire, and then you go into Houston and let Davis Mills light your defense up. This is just not a consistent enough team. For me to fully be on board, but they could stay competitive. 
Now, offensively, can they are they competent enough to get over that hump, win with game-winning drives, or win on the last second? I'm not going to go as that far, but Mac Jones putting up a solid performance. <laughs> I mean, this Jets team is fucked without Zach Wilson expected to be out for the next couple weeks with that PCL injury, which was you see that one hit where he's just going in like six different directions. You're like, oh, that's the hit. No, he gets right back up, goes out for you know a couple plays, and then gets landed on awkwardly, and that's what the PCL injury is. So go back and watch those highlights. You'll understand what I'm talking about. There's nothing too much to look into this. This Jets team is bad to worse without having Zach Wilson. They're losing reps for him for these next couple of weeks. And who the fuck is Mike White? Good job on the Western Kentucky. Also went to South Florida for, for a year or two before transferring over. But good call. Well, watch out. Joe Flacco was just traded to the Jets. Is Joe Flacco elite again? Of course he's elite again. It's Joe Flacco. He's always been elite. Revenge game coming up later in the year against Philadelphia, though. I do think the Jets are going to regret getting Joe Flacco this late in this stretch because I think he would have made more sense to start against the Bengals just from the experience factor opposed to Mike White. But at the end of the day, I mean, this is a lost season regardless for the Jets. This game really doesn't mean a lot in the scheme of things. You're just focused on getting Zach Wilson healthy eventually. But yeah, I, I don't know. This this Jets team, man, this, this season's got not fun very fast. Staying in the same city, the Giants, they beat the Falling Panthers, who dropped four straight as well. Talking about the Broncos comparison earlier, same kind of thing. Started 3-0, heavily on the defense's contributions, and then out of nowhere, offense kind of fell off. A literal cliff, yet again. Lose four straight here. I mean, you lose to a Giants team without Saquon Barkley, Sterling Shepard, Kenny Galladay. I mean, that's a low point to a season for anybody. And now all of a sudden, I don't know when it gets better. Carolina was in the talks for Deshaun Watson. It sounds like they're already getting ready to punt on the Sam Darnold experiment. Hard for me to really get too upset with them doing that with the way he's looked the last few weeks, and he was pulled in this game as well. Even though the Giants won this game and it was ugly. Does this say, hey, you know what? Good for Joe Judge. It looks like he's got this group playing hard. Or is this simply, hey, Carolina's just a not good football team? I wouldn't go as far as saying Carolina's not a good football team, but I can't remember how high it was on Sam Darnold, but I think it's taking that step back that you guys have a quarterback problem. I think you said it best a little bit earlier. This is just the NFC version of Denver, right? They they have a good defense that they can kind of hang their hat on as a positive as this team. An offense you think, you know, you think is just right there to being not amazing, but at least consistent. And I really thought Sam Darnold, this could be a revival for his career. And the first three games was like, awesome. They can be a solid team, maybe, you know, be that nine and nine and eight. Goes crazy as a 10 and seven, maybe. This team will only go as far as Sam Darnold and him getting benched. I guess what PJ Walker, they will take them. I mean, Darnold's 16 to 25 with 111 yards and one interception. This Giants defense isn't playing like they were last year. Yes, they're secondary. That part of their team is the one you can they can lean on the most. But man, you, you don't have Saquon. You don't have Sterling Shepard. Kenny Galladay is not there. Kadarius Tony doesn't even play in this game. Yes, you got Evan Ingram back, Darius Slayton. Ooh, you have Danny Dimes catching one-handed 16-yard receptions. You cannot have this. Carolina, 173 yards. Carolina, 2-15 and 15 on third down. Of course, you're not going to win. 
This game was 5-3 and three until midway through the third quarter, and it was fucking ugly. The only reason I was watching it is because my mom and stepdad were in town. They like to watch the Panthers. Or, we're from Carolina. This Giants team, I don't think Joe Judge has them playing. If he does, right on time for Joe Judge. Seems like what he did last year. Hey, let's lose five real quick. Let's lose four of the first five. Make them think we're out of it. Have them make a couple jokes about the NFC East, and then we're going to start playing some ball. They need to get healthy. I'm not taking too much away from this game. What I am taking away is Carolina. Maybe I'm hopping off that train a little bit quicker than I thought. I still think they have the opportunity to be the second-place team in that division, which is scary. And keeping it in that division, Tampa Bay Buccaneers coast to an easy 38-3 victory against the Chicago Bears. Tampa Bay led this, led this game 35-3 at half. Tom Brady threw four touchdowns in the first half, three of them to Mike Evans, one of them to break that record of becoming the first quarterback to throw 600 pass touchdowns in league history. Chicago turning that ball over five times. Justin Fields is dog shit because he has no one blocking for him. Sacked four times. Only thing he did more in that game is throw interceptions, which was three. The Chicago O-line is so bad, they're not going to be able to have any development for Justin Fields this year. This is a perennial fat L team, strictly because of how bad their offensive line play is and how much they're keeping their defense on the field because they Justin Fields can't hold on the ball and that offense in general. Tampa Bay's rolling. Chicago's falling. Tampa Bay's defense finally looks like it's starting to figure things out. I think the first two weeks they had 25 or more points given up. Since then, they've looked like a different team. And if they're getting the defensive contributions they got this week, they're going to be Super Bowl threats again. They might be the best team in the league again. I'm worried for Justin Fields, and I'll tell you why. Buckeye fans out there would have told you going into this year, the only knock I had on his game at the college level is he holds onto the ball for an hour and a half. He does not like to throw it away. He wants to win and lose on every single play. That's a problem when you don't have an offensive line. And a lot of the sacks they are taking right now are on Justin Fields. He's been holding onto the ball too long. And that is also on this coaching staff. They need to scheme up ways to get the ball out of his hand quick. It needs to be a point of emphasis at practice to get the ball out of his hands quick. Especially with a line like this. If you're going to have a bad line, you have to compensate the other way. And he hasn't done that. I'm really worried about him. I really hope that he can figure that out because that's going to be what can derail a career like his, taking all these kind of hits. But our next game, your Green Bay Packers, they win their sixth game in a row, beat the Washington football team. And I'm glad that you put this note on here too. People watching this game would have noticed early in the first half that 15 times this year, the Green Bay Packers had to let the opponents in the red zone 15 times they had given up touchdown drives until this week. I'll let you talk mostly about this, but the Packers defense, the red zone defense specifically, really won this game. I mean, you were outgained by over 100 yards, but the defense did what they had to do when they had to do it, and it took a little luck with the Taylor, Taylor Heineke slide into the end zone thing, but luck or whatever have you, the Packers defense made the plays when they had to this week, and your Packers get yet another win. Was not an amazing game for the Green Bay Packers. Still a lot of injuries awaiting David Bakhtiari back. Darius Smith, Jari Alexander to come back on the defensive end. Offensively, wasn't amazing. As a Packers fan, not what you're used to. Defensively, also not what I'm used to. I'm, I'm used to them con- continually fucking up and having Aaron Rodgers come in and save the deck. Four red zone stops in the second half. Defense stood up in that regard. Now, 
One thing that really fucked us on our on picking Washington at plus nine and a half, Taylor Heineke, not once but twice fucked up at the goal line to put this in within a one possession game. You know, he gave himself up running free to the end zone. Free. No one around him decides that he wants to dive in. Now, the referees took this as giving himself up, which means as a quarterback, when you do that, where your knee lands is where the ball is spotted, which was just sort of the goal line. So after a lot of convening between the referees, that's what they come up with. So Washington goes for it. What Taylor Heineke does is goes for a quarterback sneak, goes up, fumbles the ball, wall up, still laying on players. He's able to pick it up. And what I think, and I'm sure Wally, I'm, I'm assuming you're thinking the same way. What I think is he picks it up and advances the ball over the goal line. A touchdown. What I thought was going to be ruled a touchdown was not because he was down by contact or down, even though none of his body parts were touching down. Forward progress was not called either on the play. That, in theory, turns the ball over, gives Green Bay that, takes six points, potentially seven points off the board for Washington, causing both of us to be extremely pissed off, as pissed off as I can be, watching my team have a goal line stand. Packers are that team to beat up. They're the kings of the bad, and I still think middle of the pack. I don't think there's really anything to look too much into this game. Washington's downward spiral. Didn't think that they would be in this position at this point. And their and their defensive line was causing Aaron problems all game. But, man, this was your one to maybe get that upset, maybe cover the spread, and you blew it. You fucking blew it, Taylor Heineke. Yeah, this was a perfect example of I'd rather be lucky than good for a defense at some points down there. But at the end of the day... There were four different times in this game that the Packers got off the field in the red zone, and we had not seen that for a long time. That's really good news and a very encouraging sign for your Packers. Now, the team you guys are playing here on Thursday night, the undefeated Arizona Cardinals, stay undefeated and beat, can we confidently say, the worst team in the NFL now in this Houston Texans team, the way it sits today? Because now, listen to this. I'll tell you a stat before. You, people at home, they're, they're, he's thinking. He's not sure if he wants to go with me yet. Because you know I want to naturally pick Jacksonville. Exactly. And I'm going to tell you why you want to pick Houston, though. Because three of the last four games, this is the NFL, mind you. Three of the last four games, the Texans have scored five or fewer points. Four of the last five games, they've scored less than ten the only time that their offense has done anything in the last five weeks was when they played New England and got 22, and that offense completely disappeared in the second half. This Texans offense is non-existent, and good for DeAndre Hopkins. He got a touchdown against his old team. And even J.J. Watt going into this week said, it's hard for me to feel all that nostalgic about it because this is not the same team I left. Kind of felt like a shot, but at the same time, is it a shot if it's true? I don't know. When you looked at this, first of all, I guess, do you think Houston's the worst team in the league if you had to choose? Second thing, I, I don't know. Like, do you take anything away from this? Arizona just did what they had to do. This was a game I see Arizona losing last year at this time, right? Get hit in the mouth a little bit, and they kind of, yeah, they will have, they will rally around a little bit, but they end up losing. This, they get hit in the mouth a little bit, and then they just pop off there in the second quarter. This Arizona team is the most dangerous team in the NFL right now. Their offensive power is insane. The weapons that they have is insane. And their defense is nothing to take home about, but they are better than years past, and they're actually pretty solid. 
giving their team more opportunities here. I really don't think there's anything to dig to dig deep in here. It's an away team overthinking the opponent they had. Got kicked in the ass here a little bit in the first in the first quarter. Kind of opened them up and they took off like there was no problems. I mean, 31 points between three quarters isn't too bad. In retrospect, who gives a fuck about this Houston Texans team? Arizona staying undefeated. They're flying high, expecting them to stay undefeated. Against Green Bay Packers this Thursday. We'll get into that in the gambling section. Last game to wrap us up here in the hair of the dog. The Orleans Saints beat a depleted Seahawks team here on the Monday night game. Saints win 13-10. Seahawks missed critical field goal opportunities in the second half. This Seahawks season is over. This is a boring team. There's actually two things that are clear that I wanted to, I wanted to bring up. It is clear that Russell Wilson, taking Russell Wilson away is going to make this team worse. Obvious. Second thing is, I think Pete Carroll should be getting a little bit of praise about his coaching. These are his last two games without Russell Wilson are covering. Yeah, it's against Pittsburgh. It's against New Orleans. But Geno Smith's your quarterback, and you're still covering with how horrible your defense is playing. Pete Carroll, give him a shout out these last two games. The Saints still don't really have a pulse on this team. I feel like we're saying that every single week. But until they give us a pulse, we don't know what it is. I'm not looking too much in this game. New Orleans wins an ugly game. Sean Payton's a dog shit coach. We're just saying it. Be Carroll, tip of the hat to you, bud. You're right, dude. This season's over. And unfortunately for this Seahawks team, there's not a lot of ways to get out of this situation even with Russell Wilson coming back, I think the only positive you can spin on this is that you're going to increase your draft capital a bit. But yeah, this is, I mean, the Saints to me, they're an average team. They did what they had to do. Really was just a game manager off in this situation. And unfortunately for Geno Smith, yeah, when half of your yards come on one completion, you probably didn't win your game. And that was the case here. Got to make your field goal kicks too. But that is going to bring us to the end here of our Hair of the Dog segment. We want to remind you guys that Lots of Down is brought to you by TabEase.com, the best Delta 8 THC edible on the market. Steven's a huge fan of this stuff. You can tell at the start of the show with his Baker Mayfield slander. Shows you how good this stuff is. It's sugar-free, keto-friendly, gluten-free, heat-resistant, and made of 100% pharmaceutical-grade ingredients with consistent dosing for the perfect edible experience. But hey, if you're not into Delta 8 THC, that's not a problem. TabEase offers an option with no THC while using the same proprietary drug delivery system to ensure that guaranteed dosage. Right now, TabEase.com offers three flavors, galactic fruit, watermelon, and mint. So please make sure you go and follow them on Instagram and Facebook at TabEase Co. That's TabEase Co. Spelled T-A-B-E-A-S-E-C-O. To be the first to know when they drop. You can get any of these products at tabbies.com and with the promo code FOOTBALL you get 20% off your entire order and free shipping. Now let's get back to some game previews. Yes, I'm insane. I've been smoking all this coming from a guy who backs Derek Carr his entire career. Yeah, Baker Mayfield's that guy. Oh, they were, light, we're trying to I fight. Yeah, the fire. yeah, you I did. Light the fire. You saw I how fast fire. I lit up. I don't, I don't think I've ever, outside of like when I took you to a buffet, I don't think I've ever seen you move that quick. I was quick. I was ready to fight you. Or that one time that we banged, I didn't realize you moved that quick. So the Raiders fly high against the Philadelphia Eagles. Derek Carr putting on a clinic on Sunday, 31-34 passing, slightly below 92% completion percentage. 
323 yards with two touchdowns. At one point, he completed 16 consecutive passes here. Uh, I want to say it was the first quarter, but I know for a fact it was in the first half. Kenyon Drake adding adding a touchdown and out-touching Josh Jacobs 17-9. to One, two, three question marks on this rundown. I don't think that's enough question marks. The Eagles are bad. Before I open it up to you, I found the stat. I want to say it. Derek Carr. Fun fact. After his game Sunday, Derek Carr now has two games in his career where he has completed over 90% of his passes. Yeah, that's pretty cool, right? Let's put that in perspective of the league. Every quarterback ever combined has one of those games. Derek Carr, stud. And Baker Mayfield has zero. That's really actually insane to kind of think about here. Yeah, it is kind of crazy that Baker Mayfield is one of every quarterback in existence, but two, not to have that stat. So good way to point that out. Also, not as fun for you because Josh Jacobs was out touched 17 and 9 because on his touchdown run late in the first half, he got hit, hurt his chest, and did not return to the game. So that's the reason why there was that little bit of a disparity in touches. You will see Josh Jacobs take over the lead horse role once he is healthy once again. But here, just on the Eagles, first of all, I, I wanted to touch on a few things before I go on my little Raiders monologue for you. But the Eagles scored on their opening possession of this game. Then gave up 30 straight points before finally making a 30-14 game with just over 10 left to play. The reason I bring this up, Miles Sanders also got hurt in this game. On the second drive, he had one carry. After that, he was done. He was out the rest of the time. But Miles Sanders, on that touchdown drive, had five rushes. That feels weird to say because they don't hand the ball off in Philadelphia anymore. But they had five rushes on the Eagles' opening drive touchdown. He got hurt. And then the Eagles handed the ball off to their running backs 13 times the rest of the game. I don't know how that's a winning situation up there. Of Nick Sirianni deciding to basically throw the arm off of Jalen Hurts. I'm hoping for Eagles fans' sake that they kind of figured that out and try to get a little more balance because it just doesn't make sense right now with what they're trying to accomplish. But yeah, as for the Raiders, man, this offense, it feels very exciting right now because Derek Carr is protecting the ball while he had the pick in this game. But if you watched it early on, it was miscommunication from Jalen Richard. He kind of took a sit-down route, took it into an out. Derek Carr threw where he was supposed to be. But outside of that, this Raiders offense... They're being clinical right now, and that's all I could ever hope for. Defense is better than I can remember in 15 years, and they're flying to the football. And There's an attitude on this defense that just has me more encouraged than I have in a long time. So this Raiders team, they're not going away. They're not going away. I have another fun fact. I'm a fact machine. Ya boy, Max Crosby. 47 quarterback pressures. First of all, it's fucking ridiculous through the first six, seven games of the year. He has more pressures than 10 NFL teams right now. 10. Those teams consist of the Atlanta Falcons, Baltimore Ravens, Colts, Eagles, Pats, Giants, Jets, Steelers, Dolphins, Chargers. If you notice, a few of those have some elite pass rushers. J.J. Watt, Joey Bosa. (laughs) <laughs> Son of a bitch, I guess that's really all I got. Nonetheless, extremely impressive. And I'm going to take the lead on this one. The Tennessee Titans embarrass the Kansas City Chiefs. 
Oh, man. Wally, I know you loved it. I, you know, I enjoyed it as well because your boy picked the Tennessee Titans to cover. And I want to say money line, but don't quote me on that. I don't think I did. I think I strictly do spreads. Don't know what's going on in Kansas City. Ryan Tannehill having a solid game. Only six incompletions with 270, one touchdown, one interception. King Henry, only 86 yards, but he also had a touchdown pass. Wow, there's two different people exploiting the horrible secondary of Kansas City. And it was miraculous to watch. Kansas City had no, no chance at this game. This isn't the teams in the past where you're like, oh, they're down 24 nothing. Cake. I'll I'll turn it I'll turn it over in about an hour and then they'll they'll be tied up or Kansas City's up 10. That's not the case this year. Kansas City is bad. Very bad. I was kind of kidding that they like Denver sucking, but Denver might beat them in the division. That's how bad they are. Patrick Mahomes throwing another interception, one fumble loss. Kansas City leading the league in giveaways and tied with the worst turnover differential with Jacksonville. I think this team is dead in the water. There's no coming back. You mix over turnover problems with a defense that can't stop a nosebleed, you're never going to have success in this league, no matter how much you revamp the offensive line. The Chiefs feel almost like they've reached a point where, you know the old expression that pressure creates diamonds or whatever? It feels that way right now where the Chiefs are either going to collapse on this season or this is going to make them a better team come January. I don't know right now if these problems are fixable because teams are really trying to focus on Tyreek Hill, and it's changed even the offensive dynamic there in Kansas City because their defense has given up a million points a game, and when you make an offense feel like they have to be perfect, it's amazing how imperfect they become. And right now, this Kansas City Chief offense is far from perfect. I'm living my best life right now. I don't know. I really thought that we kind of just like chalked this team in to the AFC playoff picture. I mean, if you made me choose right now, it's a coin flip. And I'd probably say no, but I don't know how much of that is. I hate that team with my entire passion. But regardless, the Titans, they have another huge win here. The Colts have to be more frustrated than any team in the world that every time it feels like they are going to make up ground the Titans keep winning the games that we expected them not to. That makes this upcoming matchup even more important for the AFC South. We'll get into that when we get to the gambling segment. But yeah, all things considered, I'd be very excited to be a Tennessee Titan fan right now. And pretty much, this is doomsday for Kansas City Chiefs fans. Before we move on to the next game, Wally, I want to ask you this. Which one are you leaning towards? Them more likely being a wildcard team or them not even making the playoffs? I made the joke with a buddy a few weeks ago, and I hate it because it feels like it's going to end up being around true. I think they're going to be somewhere in that nine-ish win range. And if they can fall ass first into being the seven seed, it just feels like one of those situations that they're going to end up winning the Super Bowl, doesn't it? Just because they have no business being there. If they do end up getting things figured out enough to make the playoffs, I know nobody in the world wants to face that team. But man, yeah, I don't know. Uh, another couple losses like this, and I think that I'm going to completely flip-flop and say, no, they're not making the playoffs. So we have a couple. Here, here's, here's the bulk of their next games. you got the Giants playing the Packers. Still have the Raiders twice. Got the Broncos twice. Got the Cowboys. Still have the Chargers, the Steelers, and the Bengals. We'll give them Giants just for the sake of the conversation right now. 
Packers, not with that defense. I'm actually going to confidently say Green Bay, I think, is going to win that game. Raiders, worst case scenario for Chiefs, 0-2. You're at least dropping minimum one. I still think 2-0 for the Raiders can happen. That's all That's all time sensitive. This matchup, though, yes, Cowboys lost. Broncos should win. Chargers lost. Steelers, we'll see. Bengals, I can see that as a loss, depending on how hot they are, if they continue this trend at that point. Then you end the season on the Broncos. That's a tough stretch. I would be pumped. Can't imagine how you would feel they're pulling a Cowboys 8-9 and nine season. 8-8, eight and eight, but the 2021 version of the 8-8. Eight and eight. Yeah, I just am going to cherish this year because it does feel like all it's going to take is the Chiefs to get that offensive line and get a few exciting pieces on defense again. They're right back into the Kansas City Chiefs we already know. But I'll, I'll cherish this. I'll drink it up. Our next game here, the Cincinnati Bengals go to Baltimore and beat up the Baltimore Ravens. They win this game 41-17. And truthfully, after it went into half, I mean, this doesn't even feel like a game, right? Cincinnati dominated all 30 minutes of this second half. Jamar Chase sets an NFL record for first seven games in an NFL career in receiving. He looks unstoppable. Joey Burrow just continues to just have this like swag to him that's just so cool to see. They're going to be really good. He's got a bright future. I can't imagine. I know my Cincinnati buddies have been texting me nonstop the last three days on cloud nine. They can't get over this either. It feels surreal and good for them because I know for a fact that Ohio football has been, at least professionally, in a really dark spot here the last 20, 30 years. And between the Browns and Bengals both having a little bit of a resurgence, it, it's really good for the AFC North at large. But Steven, I'm going to throw it to you. Do you think this Bengals team is the favorite now to win the AFC North? Or are we still, by the way, I said th- plus 1,300 back in uh, the spring. Somebody should sprinkle it, not a big deal. But do you think this is the favorite team in the AFC North now? Or do you still want to ride with Lamar? So I'm not fully on board on the Cincinnati Bengals being the favorite in the AFC North. I still really like how what Lamar Jackson is doing there in Baltimore and how he has that offense playing. But you cannot gloss over the fact of what, how overachieving this Bengals team is right now coming off an ACL injury from Joe Burrow. This guy's looking nice. The Cincinnati defense isn't as bad as we are anticipating either. Seventh in yards per game allowed. Fifth fewest points allowed in the NFL with 18.3. Seventh in rushing yards allowed per game at 94. Middle of the pack in in their passing defense. But that's how they got this win. Let's make Lamar play quarterback. right? I know I was putting my foot in my mouth here a couple weeks ago after his performance. But it doesn't really seem like anything has changed outside of a one-off performance three to four times a year with Lamar. Joe Burrow, 416 yards with three touchdowns. Held Lamar to a 48% completion percentage on the defensive side of the ball. They just took down what I thought was the hottest team on Sunday. And outside of missing a couple field goals against Green Bay, this team is 6-1. And And a fuck-up game against the Chicago Bears, which they almost won. This team's the AFC version of of the Cardinals almost, is what we're going to be depicting them as. I like this Bengals team a lot. On paper, they looked amazing. And a real person, they're, they're living up to that hype right now. I'm not fully on board of them winning the division. We'll see We'll see how they string it in here mid-season because I think the Ravens are just going to pop off after this loss. I know they have no, no more room for fuck-ups because maybe this Brown team is going to get hot. 
if they do get Baker Mayfield back. Hell, if we know what Mike Tomlin's got brewing up in Pittsburgh after a bye week. Yeah, I know. We can't really take that one Take that one with a grain of salt. Same time, we never know. Not saying they're going to go 11-0 because they can't. But not saying they're going to flip the script like they did last year, start off slow, end up really hot. No. This Bengals team, keeping a close eye on, they're the most fun team to watch in Ohio right now. No cap. I hated the no cap, but I'll, I'm going to carry on like I never heard that. But yeah, the Bengals right now, they're going to be growing pains. Because Joey Burrow still hasn't played a full season. That's crazy to think about. Because he got hurt halfway through his, what, I almost said freshman because I'm, what, Big Ten podcast brain too. He is a, he was a rookie last year and he missed half his season. He's still so young. And there's going to be those growing pains. And the Bengals defense isn't going to stay at this level probably the rest of the year. But they're a playoff team. And if I'm a Bengals fan, you get to watch this year almost carefree as long as injuries don't kind of derail it. Because you feel like you arrived a year early. This Bengals offense is dynamic. And when they get an offensive line, look out. Because Joe Burrow is doing this right now with people like you and I blocking for him. So when he's able to get that extra time, I mean, all of a sudden, there's going to be short odds on not only them to win this division, but for them to win a lot of other things too. But then the Rams win a close one against the, the poor Lions. Dude, the poor Lions. I know that you even put it down on this sheet, and I appreciate you doing it, because it's like different than other teams in, in other leagues, other divisions. I feel bad for Lions fans. Like genuinely feel bad, because they have, what, one playoff win since 1959 or whatever it is? This team has done nothing for years, and now they're having to go and watch their, I guess, former quarterback that they loved a lot more than the rest of the country did in Matt Stafford, beat them in a game that, goddamn Campbell coached his freaking heart out. Two successful fake punts and a successful onside kick. This is probably the most disappointed and heartbroken I'd been all year for a team that has nothing to do with the Raiders. I I know you're a Packers fan. It's a division rival. But these Lions can't catch a break. And I guess you have to be fair, too, because the Rams were the ones who won this game. They're pretty damn good. They're very good. And as much as... As heartfelt as I feel for my Lions fans out there, I took the under four and a half on their season total. So they can lose as many games as they want, as long as they're not eclipsing four. So yeah, you know what? I'm sorry. We were, this is probably the most accurate we've been on the show is predicting how bad the Lions record is going to be. Because we're like, we, I can't not find a win and neither can they apparently. It's a good, gritty, grinded out game for the Rams after, you know, what, what was a slow start against the Giants the week before? Coming back, just laying it out on them. And here they go again. A nice, another slow, steady grind. And again, kind of like what I was saying before, maybe about the Cardinals and Texans matchup, maybe the Rams didn't take this this week of uh, practice as serious. They were actually pretty close. If they didn't pick off Jared Goff in the end zone here in the fourth quarter, this is a field goal game. And yet another game that Dan Campbell and the Lions are losing at the last second, potentially, to a game-winning field goal. Jared Goff throwing two interceptions against his old team. You hate to see it. And you said it the best. I feel so bad for the Lions fan because they're giving them false hope. And I'd argue that this is way worse than when the Browns were bad, like like it was so long ago, right? At least when Browns fans were watching their team, they they didn't have false hope of, oh, we could win this game. They were just getting blown out. All the fans were drinking, watching other games by halftime, at least by the second quarter. This Lions team's got you reeled in. You're sitting there. Oh, it's awesome. Oh, you know, this can actually be it. 
They fucking rip your heart out like Lloyd Christmas in the scene from Dumb and Dumber when he's fighting the, the chef every time. And I feel for it. But I love it because we're riding on the lines to cover each and every game as an underdog and it's going to be lovely. I love the successful onside kick to start the game. Started off hot and the Rams came and finished it. Matt Stafford battling for potential MVP. Cooper Cup. Outside of a quarterback, that dude's got to be your MVP, not named Derrick Henry right now. As for the Lions, I think they have a really good opportunity of being able to get a couple wins over this next six games stretch. You got the Eagles, got the Steelers, Browns, Bears at home, Vikings at home, Broncos on the road. Maybe some opportunity to get a couple wins. Make me shaking in my boots the last half, last quarter of the season here. But I said it before and I'll say it again. They are the perennial team to cover as underdogs this year. Nothing more of that. If I'm trying to be nice, I'm trying to add a little niceness to your guys, Kyle Butson, and a few of my buddies that listen that are up there, Michael Flips in, uh, in Northwest Ohio. But the Lions, at least unlike the Browns, like you said, the Browns were in a lot of those games getting blown out. At least for a Lions team like this, you can make that like jump in your head that we're not that far away. Look how close we are to being a team that can win a few of these games. So just hang in there. It's it's not fun. It's an ugly statistical year. But who knows? Maybe this is a sign that brighter days are coming. Because, uh, I mean, it can't get darker, right? If it's any darker, you might as well call yourself Stevie Wonder at that point. It cannot get darker. There has to be some sort of light at the end of the tunnel. But my God, take it out back. Get out of its misery like Goldie Eller. On to the next and final game before we jump into what our records were last week gambling and what our predictions are here for week eight. Indianapolis Colts winning their second straight going out to San Francisco and beating the 49ers. Jimmy G, 16 to 27 with 181. One touchdown, two interceptions. Trey Lance out with an injury. Anyone wondering, wait, wait why is Trey Lance not starting? That's why. I got you. Don't you worry. Carson Wentz not putting up an amazing stat line of only 150 yards, two touchdowns. Jonathan Taylor finally getting, getting some touches here. 18 touches, 107 with, with one touchdown. And San Fran held to only 280 yards by this Colts defense, which that Colts offense only put up 295. So this was an ugly, slow game. San Fran held the 1-11 one one on third down. Four turnovers compared to Indianapolis's two. And on top of that, seven penalties for 122 yards. Are the Colts heating up? Maybe finally getting me in the right track of a division winner? I'm really good at picking everything but division winners preseason, at least decent. But are the Colts really starting to string something together that maybe they'll make a run here in the AFC South? And do you think it's just full go? Well, let's move to Trey Lance for San Francisco and just part ways with Jimmy G at this point. If there's expectations to make this season worth something for the 49ers, Yes, they need to move to Trey Lance immediately. Jimmy G has looked I'm just so pedestrian this year. He doesn't do anything that really that gives a competitive advantage to the 49ers. He's the dream. We keep using this word in this episode, game manager, but that's all that they've asked him to be is, hey, don't screw this up. We want our defense to put us in a position to win. We're going to have the skill positions around you to score enough points to do that. And so far this year, Jimmy G, I feel like, has only held them back. So, yeah, Trey Lance needs to be the guy. Beyond that, though, one thing I noticed for, like, the Colts and, like, Jonathan Taylor and these Wisconsin running backs, in college, 
they are touching the ball 30 times a game. That's the way Wisconsin's built. They run it down your throat in that pro-style offense. Once you get to the NFL, you're seeing probably half the amount of touches as they saw in college. I almost wonder if that takes a little bit more time, if it's a little bit more challenging for running backs to come out of a system like that to kind of get their feet under them if they're not getting the amount of touches that they would see at the college level. That's just food for thought, something to think about. Colts, big opportunity this upcoming week. We're going to talk about it when we get to it here in a minute. But that game feels really important, a lot more important for the Colts. You can't afford to fall three games back. You can split, but it has to feel like it's at the right opportunity to split and falling three games back. I just don't think that's the recipe to get the Colts into the postseason. But we'll stay over here now. We're going to flip it on over to our Week 7 bets. What the hell's going on out here? I went 14-14-1. Steven went 7-11. Not our best week. But that's not going to be the end of the world because this slate this weekend looks pretty juicy. I'm just going to say that. Our first game here, it's actually perfect. Our Thursday night game. And your Packers are involved. They're going to Arizona, and they're trying to give the Cardinals their first loss of the season. The Arizona Cardinals are six-and-a-half-point favorites against your Packers, in large part due to the wide receiver issues you guys have had on the short week. Devontae Adams and Alan Lazard are getting the week off for injury, so we are going to see a kind of different-look Packers team, at least on the offensive side of the ball. I really wanted to take the Packers. I had them actually... Before they announced these wide receiver moves, I had the Packers plus three and a half. That's how far the lines moved in the last couple days. But now I can't do it. I'm going to have to take the Cardinals minus a six and a half in the money line. I think Arizona is going to score in the mid-20s range. I just really am going to have a hard time. I think they're going to have to lean on Aaron Jones, the Packers, to get to that cover point and to be relevant and potentially win this game. I just don't think he's going to be able to do enough to cover the six and a half when Arizona knows how much of a focal point the running game will be. But this is your team. I, I shouldn't be talking this much. What? Tell me who I should be betting here. You're right. I don't. You know. I don't really need to tell you. If anything, you kind of made me more comfortable with the Arizona minus six and a half. I have Arizona at least minimum by ten. You, no Devonte Adams. No Alan Lazard. Like Wally said, the focal point of the offense, Aaron Jones, going to sprinkle in A.J. Dillon, get Bobby Tanyan involved. And I guess now that offseason acquisition of Randall Cobb doesn't look too bad right now because he's a good safety valve. Because if not, Equinemius St. Brown would be the number one receiver for the Packers suiting up on Thursday. But it's okay. He's only the number two right now. I'd argue number three behind Robert Tanyan. Nonetheless, Green Bay's defense has been holding up in the – has been holding up with key injuries of Jari Alexander's and Darius Smith out. Yes, Jalen Smith has been added, as well as Whitney Merciless here from the Houston Texans, a 10-year vet that was released last week, actually got some playing time here this past Sunday for the Packers who signed him. We have no answer, and we, I mean, Green Bay has no answer for any of the wide receivers, wide receivers that they have, because not only is Jari out, Kevin King is out. Yes, he is a liability, but at least he has some size that can compete or cause these wide receivers to compete off the line of scrimmage or for the ball. We're not even flipping it over to the offensive side of the ball. The offensive line still without David Bakhtiari. Elton Jenkins finally getting, getting back into the mix. Aaron Rodgers has no one. J.J. Watt, yes, ruled out of this game as well. Arizona has too much of 
too much offensive firepower for a depleted Green Bay Packers defense. Remember that remember that stat we just gave you, 15 of 15 of allowing touchdowns of opponents in the red zone up before they played Washington? Arizona will definitely exploit that over six and a half. And like I said, I'd move it up a little bit if you see some if you see some plus money. Next game that we have here on the schedule, the Carolina Panthers visiting the Atlanta Falcons, where the Falcons are three-point favorites. Atlanta coming off a nice two-game win streak. And with Carolina continuing their four-game skid, I'm going to go with the Atlanta Falcons to cover the three points at home against a divisional opponent. Atlanta giving up close to 30 points per game on defense. Atlanta's, Atlanta's pass offense is 13th worst in passing yards. And a place where Carolina's defense thrives where they're allowing the second-least yards per game in the air at 197. So Matt Ryan's going to have a test here. Now, if you want to beat Carolina, they are allowing 110 yards per game on the ground. Atlanta only averaging around 88 that they're giving up. And Carolina has the second-most sacks given up against an Atlanta front that has the second-lowest sacks as a defense only with, I want to say, 10 or 11. This is a chance for them to take advantage of a Carolina offense that has completely stalled since coming into week four against the Dallas Cowboys. They can't protect their quarterback, and even if they can, they're not really getting that great of quarterback play if it's either from Sam Darnold. Maybe P.J. Washington can light a fire, but I think his time, his 15 minutes was last year. I'm going to ride Atlanta with that makeshift of Cordero Patterson, causing problems in that passing game as well as the running game, and Kyle Pitts to continue his couple-game dominance, stretching into this game. Atlanta three-point favorites at home, and I'm taking that. This is a fun game right here just because it's a three-point spread. And I think that I've talked about it on this show before, if not, you probably have, where Vegas typically will give three points to the home team. So a neutral site game, that is the true value that Vegas sees both teams at with a spread. So in this game, with Atlanta being a three-point home favorite, Vegas is effectively saying these teams are even. Have at it. I kind of feel the same way when you look at this. I mean, Atlanta does have three wins, two back-to-back here, like you said. When you factor in, though, that those wins, similarly to Carolina's wins, two of them come against New York, and the other's coming against Miami, who could not fall faster if physics were redesigned. It's insane right now what both of these teams have done. They're both so underwhelming and pathetic at times that I don't know what to make of them. I'm going Carolina not for any good reason whatsoever, except for the fact that I've kind of had this, I don't know, this, I've been too nice to Atlanta the last few weeks, and it doesn't feel, it sit right with me after last year. I kind of hated them because of you. I think that you're going to see a little bit of, whether it be Sam Darnold, PJ Walker, what have you, you're going to see them have a little success because Atlanta's defense is still Atlanta's defense. I have Carolina plus three in the money line, but I'm really hoping Kyle Pitts can continue this, I guess, I guess development. Because if he does, I mean, he has so much capability, so special, but we'll see. Miami is going to Buffalo where the Bills are a 13 and a half point home favorite. I'm going with Buffalo minus 13 and a half in the money line. I know that Tua has been playing better the last few weeks. But we need to see that reflected on both sides of the ball and not just from Tua. And he's still turning the ball over a tick too much. You can't afford to do that to Buffalo, especially in Buffalo. I rarely like betting games this high because of the 
I guess you, you have to be perfect if you're the favorite to win. I don't think you have to be perfect to cover 13 and a half against Miami. I think Miami makes enough mistakes that that's going to be, I think, painfully evident early. Bills cover the 13 and a half. Josh Allen looks really good. And all of a sudden, if there was any debate, I think that this division's on ice, right? I mean, the only person that has a shot to make the playoffs might be New England as a wild card. And even that feels kind of far-fetched now. Yeah, that's a stretch, but we'll cross that bridge when we get there. Do you not worry, Walter? I'm on the same boat. Bills, they're hot right now. They're coming off a bye. Not only are they coming off a bye, they're coming off a, a loss as well. I don't see Miami winning this one. Their spiral continues. I know Tua has been very good over the past couple weeks since getting back. I know we ran over the stats during the recap of week seven, but this Buffalo defense right now is number one in total yards allowed. Number one in passing yards per game allowed. Sixth in rushing yards per game allowed. Enter the first-ranked pass defense with the second-most interceptions and causing opposing quarterbacks to have the worst QBR rating against them, 62.1. Compared with the Miami drama, the locker room, if it's if it's split, what's it looking like? We're losing again. Is Tua going to be our quarterback? Are we trading for Deshaun Watson? I'm throwing that into the pot as well, stirring it up. This locker room is fucked. This team is fucked. Buffalo minus 13.5 in the money line. We're on the same train on that one, bud. San Francisco, 3.5 point favorites, visiting the Chicago Bears there at Soldier Field. The over-under set at 39.5. And for me, I'm taking the San Francisco 49ers at three and a half. San Fran needs a win. If anyone, Jimmy G needs a win to keep this keep this job. But Trey Lance is still injury. Tee up the Chicago Bears. Yes, the San, San Francisco D should take this game to get back into shape. They're still top five D in every category but rushing yards per game allowed. Khalil Herbert, who's filling in for the injured David Montgomery as well as Damian Williams. He can't continue his nice couple game stretch here. But San Fran just has more talent on the ball. They have a coach who's more competent, who knows what to do with this talent. And I say it once and I say it again, and I'll continue through it to the end of the season. I cannot trust this Chicago Bears offensive line to allow their offense, not only Justin Fields, let alone this whole offense, to really blossom or do anything effective against this team. San Fran minus three and a half a soldier. Yeah, this feels like a couple teams with some clear and obvious deficiencies. The 49ers obviously being that quarterback play right now, and the Bears being a mixture of their quarterback play in the offensive line. I'm actually going to go with the Bears here at plus three and a half, where I think that this is, it's going to almost take a doomsday scenario to get Jimmy G pulled at this point. I thought that it was lip service early in the year and in the offseason from Kyle Shanahan that they weren't going to go to Trey Lance this year. Now it's starting to feel like he actually meant it that they were going to, I guess, live and die with Jimmy G, give Trey Lance a full year to develop. We'll see if that continues to happen, if Jimmy G is as egregiously bad as he can be at times. But I'm going with the Bears plus three and a half in the money line. And this next week, if I'm right, we're going to find out if Kyle Shanahan actually has expectations on this season or not. Because if he does, he'll pull the trigger. He might even pull the trigger on Sunday mid-game. But I, I just I don't feel it. So I'm going with the Bears plus three and a half, that defense and the money line. Kyle Shanahan on the hot seat if he doesn't win this game. Not a chance. No way. I I've seen stuff. I've 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 heard things. I, I think it's ridiculous as well. I don't believe it for a second. 
Let them fire him. Wouldn't it be great? I'd love to see him fire him. The Raiders are all of a sudden looking out of a head coach. I'd love to bring Kyle Shanahan out to Vegas. Pretty biased, but continue. You're very right. It is biased because I would love it. I'd be geeking on this show. You know how high I am on Kyle Shanahan. I'll start pushing out that he's on the hot seat purely out of ulterior motive. You watch it. Anyways, so our next game here, the Pittsburgh Steelers are three and a half point dogs going to Cleveland. And this is an interesting game because the Browns are basically, their offense is on IR. They're just not there. And I feel like a lot of things had to go right for the Steelers to feel like they have a shot going into first energy. But here we are, and it feels like they have a shot. Now, this is going to be an ugly freaking game. I don't know why I didn't have this marked on the sheet, so we're going to mark it down right now. You heard the pen click, guys. Live pick right here. But the under is a lock in this game. I don't know how this is going to get beyond 42.5. Both of these offenses are going to struggle to put up points. This just screams an ugly score of like a 16-13 or a 16-14 kind of game. And that's why I'm going to take the Steelers to cover the three and a half. But I am going to go with the Browns' money line. I think they do just enough to get the win, but it's going to be a tight window. I'm playing that rare game where I'm trying to box this score into a three-point window, but that's what I'm doing. The Browns win this game by less than three and a half. Steelers cover. And the under of 42 and a half is a lock. What do you have, Steven? Same, same, but different. First off, Case Keenum and Big Ben. This is the quarterback matchup we didn't know we needed. Nick Chubb is coming back. I expect him to get, get the ball in Dearness Johnson to really start coming to play and take advantage of a pit defense that's allowing 108 yards per game on the ground. But they will need to have a huge game for Cleveland to get the victory. And quite frankly, I know we I know we've had the Case Keenum talk, but right now I could I feel like I can trust Case Keenum more than I can trust a Big Ben led offense because talk about a toss up. If you think Case Keenum's a toss up, we got to throw a Big Ben in there. That man cannot take advantage of the Seahawks who have horrible defense. I'm buying half a point, making this an even three, and I'm going to take the Cleveland Browns to win and cover in this game at home. Now, the odds are going to go probably around uh, 120 to 130, where it's initially at minus 110 for the most part. That could vary. You buy that half point down. Don't let that hook kill you like you did for the Atlanta Falcons with me this past week. Not that I'm salty. No, we've digressed. We'll continue. I like the Cleveland Browns minus three, and I'm not touching the over-under. I am skewing more to you, but in the off chance that it could be an offensive battle, which it won't be. I don't want to be wrong yet again on the over-under. That burns me every week. And we'll take it to the other Pennsylvania team that's also out of state for their trip on this Sunday. The Philadelphia Eagles, minus three and a half point favorites at the Detroit Lions. This is it. This is it. This is the game. Kyle Butson, Brock Chamberlain, my Toledo boys, this is the game. The Lions are getting their first win. Philly is inept. Lions are the hungriest team in the league right now. Philly is struggling. They're bottom forward in rushing yards per game allowed at 133. Detroit loves using their running backs. DeAndre Swift is their leading receiver. Yes, I know it's a different position that I'm describing. They love using their running backs out of the backfield in the receiving game. They also love giving them touches. They're, they're averaging anywhere from 25 to 30 touches a game. And I'm not even going to get into the offensive ranks for Philadelphia because they're all skewed. They're all garbage time. All screw the grouch, a.k.a. Jalen Hurts. 
All he is is just a bunch of garbage time. My nod is going to the Detroit Lions. One pride. Fuck the spread. Straight money line. Detroit winning this game outright. That city potentially may burn. Outside of that and Mom Spaghetti, Eminem Spaghetti restaurant that just opened up there. This place might burn down. Hope you got a good insurance plan, Marshall. Yeah, that's first of all a clever nickname. I really like that. I hate, though, that we're on the same like side. Because I feel like we're just teasing your Detroit Lions friends and mine here. Because I'm with you. I think that the Lions finally do get a win. Not only cover this game. I just... This Eagles team has looked bad the last few weeks. Like, not even just like... They're not competitive. Against teams like the Raiders and Buccaneers. I know those are both pretty solid teams. But, I mean, they were out of both of those games early in the second half. That's not... It's the NFL. That's unacceptable. And I do think that the way Detroit is playing for Dan Campbell, I think it's very evident that that locker room loves that guy, loves playing for him. And that says a lot about a team. It says a lot about the character of a team. And I think that you're going to have that kind of sense of, we can do this on Sunday. Like This actually is one of the times that we have an opportunity in front of us we cannot waste. I don't think they waste it. I think the Lions cover the three and a half. They get the win. Dan Campbell enjoys himself a little Gatorade shower at the end of this. And this is a really dark day for the Philadelphia Eagles. Then the Tennessee Titans are going to Indianapolis, where to me, this is probably beauty of this. And I should have mentioned this at the top. The Ravens and Raiders have a bye. They're the only two teams. So we have 15 games, very much a full slate still. And I get to watch this game with no stress or nerves about my team later on. It's probably the game I'm looking forward to most this weekend. The Colts are one half point favorites at home. And I'm actually going to ride with the Colts. I'm going to take their money line. I know that I have the Titans to win this division. But I think that this is a desperate Colts team that needs this game much more than the Titans. And I think they're going to get the job done on Sunday. They cover the spread. Effectively, it's you, you bet them to win. You're betting them to, to cover the spread. And that's what I'm doing. Colts win this game. Cover the one and a half. Are you riding with your preseason AFC South pick with the Colts? Or are you going to flip it over and take the Titans here? Normally, I don't really have a choice here now, do I, Wally? And yet again, back to back, we're agreeing on something. Now, we'll give Titans the nod in the run game. Obviously, King Henry, best running back in the league. Yeah, I'm going to give the nod to the Colts passing game here. What they're doing is they're, they're matching their opponent's defensive weak points. Both giving up 21-plus points per game. And the Colts are rolling right now. Yes, it's a two-game win streak, but they're starting to string in some win- wins together. And quite frankly, the Titans are due for a fuck-up. That is the Titans' M.O. Let's lose to the Jets. And then let's turn around and let's beat the Bills and let's beat the Chiefs. And the pressure is on the Colts right now because they have already lost the first matchup in this game. They need to steal this back if they want any chance of being able to win the AFC South. I'm giving the nod to the Indianapolis Colts as a home favorite at minus one and a half with you, Wally. On to the next game, the Cincinnati Bengals are visiting the New York Jets where the Bengals are 11 and a half point favorites. The over-under is set at 42.5. The Bengals buy whatever. They have no quarterback and they are hot right now. Like I said, they're only a couple missed field goals away from being six and one and having the best record in the AFC. Without Zach Wilson, maybe Joe Flacco plays. It doesn't really matter. The Bengals are rolling right now. 
they just dismantled a way better team and a way better defensive unit this past Sunday. Don't see why they don't do it again against the New York Jets that are missing their rookie leader in Zach Wilson. And what what I want to believe is no real answer for this Joe Burrow-led offense. The Bengals should win this game. They should win this game big. And that's why I feel weird about this game. I know this is a ridiculous reason to take a bet. I think I'm taking the Jets plus 11.5. I have the Bengals' money line. Last week, I had the Bengals' money line against the Ravens. I was real excited. I drilled one, and here I am just going next week. I'm kind of fading them a little. And it's more or less, you come off a giant win like that. You're going into New York where the Jets are going to be, you'd imagine at least the fan base, it's a little low. It seems like a letdown game. And now you have this unknown at quarterback that's going to come in. I think that because of that, it's going to be just a funky game. I'm taking the Bengals money line, but the Jets plus 11 and a half. And because of the situation, it's 42 and a half is the over under. I'm taking the over. I think this is going to be one of those games like a 27-17 kind of score. And that's why I'm going with this. Bengals, like I said, win. Jets cover in the over. The New England Patriots are going to LA to face the Chargers who are a six-point favorite here. I have the Chargers minus six in the money line. Had a little bit before their bye. They had a, a few weeks there where they weren't themselves. Going back to the Browns game, they didn't look very good for that three-week stretch. I think that this is a very good opportunity to face a competent team, to face a well-coached team, and still manage to get a win here and get a win somewhat comfortably. This is that, you know, it's that kind of Chargers win where it's going to be that 28-20-ish kind of score. A game throughout, but the Chargers do enough. And these are the type of games that in years past they would have found a way to lose. But I think that that's done. I like what Herbert's doing. I'm liking what Staley's doing. They get the win. They get the cover here. Steven, who you have? I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna spend a lot of time on this game. This game's a joke. The Rams are looking to bounce back after a very close game with the Lions, 14 and a half against a Houston team that is gasping for air in a 400 gallon tank of water. They're drowning. They're done. Rams 14 and a half, looking to get back in their demolishing winning ways. I don't even want to spend too much time on this. 14 and a half. Let's get it. The New England Patriots are. Going cross-coast, visiting the Los Angeles Chargers, who of which are coming off a bye. Chargers are six-point favorites, and the over-under is set at 48-and-a-half here. Chargers to win. They're coming, Like I said, they're coming off a bye. They got a team traveling from the East Coast. I think that this Chargers defense can cause Mac Jones a lot of problems, and with an injury-ridden secondary of, of New England, that should lead Justin Herbert to have a nice bounce-back game after just getting embarrassed by a Baltimore Ravens defense his last game. I just don't really see a realistic chance that New England wins this game. Not touching the over-under, Chargers are 1-5 in the over-unders in this game. And overall, between the two of them, there's only four overs that have hit between the 13 games of these two. Chargers minus six. I'd even buy it up to seven if that's an if that's an uh, option there for you. So as you guys can tell, I went out of order. So my bad there. Uh, going back here real quick for the Rams. I have the Rams minus 14 and a half. The Texans, like I said earlier in the show, they've scored five points or fewer three of the last four games. They've scored less than 10 points for the last five. And for that reason, 
I'm taking the Rams minus 14 and a half, but I'm going to also do a double up. I'm using two units on the money line here to make it feel a little bit more worth it. And if this feels because of the value here, it is stealing money that I'm going to double up. And I know that that's kind of not usually a recipe that you want to chase units, but this Texans team's not like a lot of NFL teams. They're not going to win. They're not going to beat this Rams team. So two units there on the money line and the under 48 because of the reasons I just said. The Texans can't score. The Rams are going to have to score a shitload of points for this over to hit, and I just don't buy it. But we'll go into our next game. Notice this. We're going to be on the same one again. But the Jacksonville Jaguars are going to Seattle. And if you're talking about a couple teams that haven't hit on over-unders this year, I'm glad that you just brought up a total of four in that New England game. Because Seattle and Jacksonville have a combined three overs hitting this year. That over-under is set at 43.5. So naturally, it's going to stay at three. The under hits in this game... And even with, I guess, the lackluster performance out of Geno Smith so far, I still think this Seahawks defense is more than three and a half points better than the Jaguars, especially up there in Seattle in a game that they know they have to win. If they, I know that it's kind of delusional at this point, but if they have expectations of making the postseason, that's a game they have to win, and you have to look good doing so. And I think that they're going to at least win. I don't necessarily think it's a pretty one, but they get it done. The under hits. The Seahawks cover in the Seahawks money line. This has to be the game Seattle gets it together. Like I'm saying, I was kind of praising Pete Carroll about what he's been doing in Russell Wilson's absence these last couple games. Keeping his team competitive, this is a game on the platter for them right now to be able to go to win. You have to give Seattle the nod. Trevor Lawrence in a hostile environment in his rookie year. You're going up to CenturyLink. Outside of Arrowhead, the hardest place to play in the stadium for a long time the hardest place to play in the NFL. Seattle's being coached really well right now. I think they have to get in the W column after this, after being so close, losing on a last-second field goal to Pittsburgh, and really in just a grueling fashion against the New Orleans Saints. I'm on the same page as Wally. Seattle minus 3.5 and and the money line, doubling down on this bet because that's how confident we are in Seattle covering the dumpster fire of Seattle covering over the dumpster fire, as we know here, as the Jacksonville Jaguars. The Washington football team are traveling out to Mile High, where Denver is three-point favorites over under set at 43.5. This one will be a fun game, and what a battle. Both teams looking for a win so badly. Denver in a losing streak. Washington also in a losing streak. And Denver Denver's own line is giving up the fourth most sacks on the year at 21. And that defense has not been sacking at the rate that we're used to. This is a great time for Chase Young and the boys to really get pumped up and have an opportunity to seize a moment of sacking Teddy Bridgewater, Drew Locke, whoever the fuck that they have playing quarterback there in Denver. Both defenses, like I said, can get after the quarterback with 15 sacks apiece. Yet Denver's D has allowed the lowest completion percentage on the year and holding opposing quarterback ratings to the seventh lowest at 84.9. Did not think I'd be making this argument in the beginning of the year. Given the nod to Denver's secondary and defense overall right now, I like Denver covering while hosting the Washington football team at, at minus three. Wow, this game is disgusting. If I didn't want to bet again, this would be it. And I think that I'm kind of uh, alluding, or I guess hinting at something else that might be coming up here right after our picks. 
But I'm going to take Denver minus three in the money line too. Washington's defense has been very disappointing. Now, they have seemed to look a little better, look a little bit more like themselves this last few weeks. And if that continues, Denver very likely will lose this game. But I just need to actually see this body of work for Washington over an extended period of time, not just one or two weeks. I think Denver is kind of built to beat a team like this. You can dink and dunk down the field right now. Washington hasn't been forced into turnovers we're used to seeing them forced. And I think that Denver, because of that, they are going to be able to outscore Washington in this game. So, like I said, Denver minus three in money line. But I, I won't be watching much of this. It's going to be a game that's going to really have to go out of its way to get in front of me. But then our next one, I won't have a problem watching. And I think that's very, I guess, true for everybody. It's hard not to like to watch this Tampa Bay team right now. They're five and a half point favorites on the road at New Orleans. New Orleans... I mean, yeah, they're they're in the thick of things right now, but it feels sad to say, but doesn't it feel like the riverboat Tampa Bay gunslinging Jameis is dead now? And with that death, I feel like I lost a lot of the fun and excitement I had with Jameis because he was just such a polarizing figure. I'm taking Tampa Bay minus five and a half in the money line. I mentioned in the recap how Tampa Bay's defense is looking a lot better in the last few, I guess basically about a month now. And because of it, I think that New Orleans is going to have a real difficult time just keeping up with Tampa Bay. Because Tampa Bay, I mean, they almost feel like a lock right now to score 28 or more. And I don't think that New Orleans even gets close to that. Bucks win, they cover. Tom Brady and the boys cannot be stopped, no matter how injury-ridden they are without having Gronk. About to have A.B. out for the second consecutive game. He's listed as doubtful, which means, a.k.a., you're out with a sliver of hope that you're going to make it, which you never do. Which Jameis Winston are we going to get? This is not your typical revenge game. There's something a little bit different here. Now, the Saints are allowing the third least amount of points per game, yet their pass defense is their weakest point of the team, allowing 251 yards per game. That's 20th in the league. Now, something Tom Brady loves exposure right now is that, because over his last three games, 919 yards, 11 touchdowns, one interception. And like I said, regardless of this being a quote-unquote revenge game for Jameis, and even though Tampa Bay secondary is very suspect, your main focal point you need to lock up is Alvin Kamara. Dude is an absolute beast. We'd even get, get to talk about his production of the recap of how boring the game was overall, that Alvin Kamara was just something special. Force Jameis Winston to beat you, which he can't. I like Tampa Bay covering this at minus 5.5. And, and I'm going to go with their money line as well, just for kicks and gigs. The next game we have here on the schedule, I... One circled on here. Most entertaining by far. Dallas, minus one and a half, visiting the Minnesota Vikings. I love it. I'm staying on the trend of my of staying with my NFC Norths outside the Chicago Bears. I'm taking Minnesota money line on here. Now, the spread really isn't too big. Like I said, minus one and a half. And this Dallas offense is looking unstoppable. Michael Gallup designated to come off the IR. We'll see if he actually makes it. Opens up that 21-day window where he's able to practice. And this Dallas offense, a unit that's ranked number one in total yards, 460. Fifth in passing yards per game. Second in rushing yards per game. And the NFL best, 34.2 points per game. Now Minnesota's defense, they're 12th against the pass. Yet they're allowing the seventh most yards on the ground. As well as allowing 22.8 points per game. 
Flip it over to the other side. The Minnesota offense, they're fourth in yards per game. Sixth in the passing, eighth in the rushing. Dallas is a definition of a bend-don't-break defense. They're allowing the 10th most yards per game, the 5th most passing yards per game. Yet they're top 5 in the rushing yards per game. Great. Dalvin Cook may be contained. Don't sleep on Kirk Cousins, though. Yes, Dallas has 14 takeaways. Minnesota only has 7. Minnesota doesn't turn that ball over. Yes, Dallas is tied for 4th in the league at turnover differential at plus 7. Minnesota's only there at plus two, and Dallas loves getting those takeaways. But for a Kirk Cousins-led offense that's bottom two, bottom three in giveaways, I don't see the opportunities that the defense is going to allow the offense to have, which is going to equate to why they're scoring so many points here in this league. I like Minnesota money line over the visiting Dallas Cowboys. Yeah, so Minnesota this year, they are... I mean, think about it. If you exclude, they had the losses to the two. All of a sudden, we look at it as a bigger deal. The two Ohio teams beat them in very close games, and they lose in a game they should have won in Arizona because of a missed field goal at the end of it. That is all that is separating this Minnesota team from being a 4-2, and 5-1 and one kind of team. And that is, I feel like, lost in a lot of people. I feel like Minnesota has not earned the respect of, I feel like, the masses yet. And I think that's going to start this weekend when they beat the Dallas Cowboys. Minnesota is going to cover the one and a half, win outright, and the under is going to hit for the simple fact that 55 in the NFL feels like a lot of points. And I think that the Vikings get it done here. I think that this is going to finally put, I feel like, the national media as a whole back on the Minnesota Vikings, at least as a playoff threat. Because they're more than that. If they had been 4-2 and two or 5-1, and one, I mean, we'd be talking about the matchups with the Packers potentially meaning something for the NFC North. I think those early mistakes are going to cost them that. But this Vikings team is not a team that people are going to take lightly if they make the postseason. There's a lot of talent there. A lot of veteran talent on the defense that I thought was going to be old and washed. But who knows? If they get a win here, I think we start giving them a little bit more respect and people start, and people start taking them more seriously. In our last game of the week, the New York Giants are going to Kansas City who's a 10-point favorite here, and the over-under set is 52.5. This is another weird one just because we've seen what the Chiefs are have been playing, and the New York Giants are not exactly the most skilled group of guys here, and they're missing a lot on offense. With that being said, I'm going to take the Giants plus 10 KC money line, and my reasoning for that for you right now is because Kansas City is still going to have to score enough points to cover. And New York is... I mean, their defense is still somewhat solid. They're going to have to score, I'd probably imagine, in that neighborhood of 17 points to, to get up to cover. Because Kansas City still, you'd imagine, be mid to late tw- or mid to high 20s in this game. But with how bad the Chiefs' defense is, and with how bad that Chiefs' offensive line is, who's to say that the defense isn't able to kind of put that offense in positions to score with a turnover or two? I have the Giants covering this game... Chiefs winning outright, though. Steven, do you have any chance at this game that the Giants can find a way to win? Or do you have Kansas City finally getting back in the win call? As the great philosopher Kevin Garnett once, once said, anything is possible. Anything is possible. Anything is possible. But I don't see the Giants winning this game. Keeping it competitive? Absolutely. Kansas City's defense. You said it. They're horrible. 
allowing the fifth most total yards per game, seventh most passing yards per game, sixth most rushing yards per game. This New York defense is only a couple spots better than the rushing game. They're 14th in passing yards per game allowed, only allowing 243, 20th in total yards per game. So not great, but when you compare it to Kansas City, maybe a little bit better. Kansas City is prone to turning the ball over, and I am not stuttering when I say this. The Kansas City Chiefs lead the league in turnovers. Patrick Mahomes has the same amount of interceptions as Trevor Lawrence, and Zach Wilson has one less than he does. This team is prone to turning the ball over. Yes, Tyreek Hill, I can kind of give you the blame for two, maybe three. But with how bad this Kansas City defense is, I can't trust them to stop any offense, and that's including a Danny Dimes-led offense that is injury-ridden at the wide receiver position. Saquon may not even be playing. It doesn't matter. Maybe Devontae Booker can start heating up. I'm taking the New York Giants at plus 10 here. I don't even want to touch the money line for Kansas City because I just want to ride on the plus 10 for the New York Giants. And honestly, I would even wait to see if this line gets a little bit larger. Bite the bullet. If it drops to 9.5, 9, sure, take that. Buy it up a couple points. And like I said, bite that bullet. But maybe it gets up to 10.5, 11, 11.5, and, and maybe something crazy at 12. If Saquon gets ruled out, maybe it gets pushed up to that 12 spot. That's where that real money's at. That will bring us to the end of our week eight bets. Before we send you off on a high note, you know we have to go over the prop, lock, and drop it segment. Where we tell you what we think a great prop bet is for the week. What we think the lock of the week is over the picks that we just went over. And a drop. One game that we're staying away from. So Wally, I'll let you lead this one, bud. What's your prop, lock, and drop it? Ready for a speed round prop lock and drop it. For my prop, I stick with my Thursday night theme. And I'm going, it's a plus 430 on FanDuel over here. So if you can find it around there, go for it. But the first drive ending in a field goal attempt. And the reason I'm doing that is because you have two high profile offenses here. Typically with those scripted plays early on in the game, the defense takes a little bit of time to, I guess, acclimate itself to the offense. And look at what just happened with the Packers. 15 straight red zone drives ending in a touchdown, gone. All of a sudden, for the last four drives, Steven, best red zone defense in the world. <laughs> They're going to get one more stop in this, whether it's the Packers or the Cardinals, and the first drive is going to start with a field goal attempt. That pays plus 430. My lock for you is the Los Angeles Rams, minus 14 and a half against the Texans. You heard my reasons before. The Texans can't score. The Rams only can score. It's going to be a lopsided one. Rams cover easy. Then my drop. God, I have the Steelers-Browns here down, but I'm not going to do it because I just told you a second ago I was hitting at it. My game I'm dropping here is the Washington-Denver game. Don't have any reason to watch this game. Drop it, pretend it never happened, and then just check the standings on Monday morning. Do not watch that game. So there you have it. Prop, first drive ends in a field goal attempt, plus 430. Lock, Rams, minus 14 and a half. Drop, Washington at Denver. Steven, let's hear from you now. My prop of the week is I have DeAndre Hopkins over 66 yards. No Jari Alexander, no Kevin King playing him. A depleted secondary for the Green Bay Packers. I expect not only DeAndre Hopkins, A.J. Green, Christian Kirk, maybe Rondell Moore gets in the mix. Don't forget about Zach Ertz either. 
Now, if you have a book like I do, I kind of want to throw in a bonus prop here. Same thing. But what I'm able to do is I have a prop builder on my on my book, meaning I'm able to pick different yardages in this case for different odds. What I suggest is being able to pick up the 96 plus yards for DeAndre Hopkins. That's going to bring your odds at plus 158. I think DeAndre has a 100, 100 yard game. I don't think he's cracked 70 the past couple. Yes, he's been scoring touchdowns, but he's been getting shadowed, double teamed, or locked up because one of those games was against Jalen Ramsey and he was still able to score. I think DeAndre pops off in this game, especially with Devontae Adams. Yes, he's not on the sideline, but Devontae Adams is watching. And without him in there, DeAndre wants to show why he thinks he's the best receiver in the league. The lock of the week, I have the Cincinnati Bengals at minus 11 and a half. Meanwhile, they're sticking similar to the, the double-digit favorites here. I just The Jets are fucked. They were already pretty fucked before Zach Wilson went out. I wonder what this line was before. I'm, I'm assuming it'd be like a 7.5, 8, 8.5 with Zach Wilson. You drop that all the way down, Mike White ain't it. He ain't it. Maybe throw Joe Flacco in there for emergency valve. It's not happening. My drop for the week is the divisional matchup of the Indianapolis Colts and the Tennessee Titans. Indy's minus one and a half. It's a division matchup. It's really close. I know we're confident on Indy winning it the other day. Sinking in back there, Derrick Henry, what he can do in that offense and what he can cause problems for in Indianapolis. I can see why you want to drop it. Quite frankly, I'm going to stay away from this game, watching it for entertainment purposes, and that's why it's the drop in my prop lock and drop it this week. And with that, that's going to bring us yet again to an end of another episode of Loss of Down. Make sure to go to tabbies.com, get in the promo code football, get 20% off that order, get that free shipping. And for tabbies.com, the premium Delta 8 edible on the market. Why the hell would you not? NFL football, throw that in, get rid of the Sunday scaries. You get a little bit of buffalo wings, some buffalo chicken dip. Pigs in a blanket. Dude, I, I mean, just going with what you're saying right now, I there's nothing. People probably think I'm full of shit, but sometimes on Sunday, because I really hate having to record and edit podcasts on a Sunday evening, so I'll pop Tab E's instead because I know I'm going to wake up not hungover. And, dude, it is awesome. It really, I feel mellow. And you, like I said last week, you throw an extra one or two in there, and all of a sudden, you got yourself an evening. So I had a lot of fun with it. So I'm happy that you brought that up, Steven. So sorry to interrupt you. Feel free to carry us on out of here. You know him as Walter Lukashensky. You know me as Steven Ween. Until next time, it's a redemption week for all of us based off our bets last week. We're coming back strong. Until next time, we are loss of down. Justice for Baker Mayfield. Absolutely not. I cannot wait to get text messages from my friends saying they agree with me. You're full of shit. I'm just happy my friends are smarter than your friends. False. You need to have friends for them to be smarter. I'm your only one. The only other one doing football and football.